And he was told specifically, keep your clothes on. <laughs> we tell him that a lot. Ah, uh, children, the Bible says there are a joy. Amen? Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Mark chapter 3. We'll pick up in Mark chapter 3. And this morning we're going to be talking about the calling of the twelve. Calling of the twelve disciples. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, uh, the way I move through the Bible, I move through the Bible from beginning to end. We start in the book, we move through it verse by verse. I believe that's the way the Holy Spirit has put it together. And what I hope we will see this morning is how Mark chapters 1, 2, and 3 kind of all come together and press down on the text this morning. We can't rightly understand Jesus' calling of these 12 men to be His disciples without understanding what's been said already. If you haven't been here, that doesn't mean you're going to be lost. It just means that the, the, the pressure's on me to make sense of it all. So, if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 3, I'll invite you to stand if you are able. We stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 3, picking up in verse 13. It said, And he went out on the mountain, and went up on the mountain, and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Lord, we confess together that this is your word. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and open it to our hearts and our minds. Cause this word to work life in us, the life of salvation, the life of discipleship. Help us to see, Lord Jesus, what it means to truly follow you. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So you see on your notes there this morning that the main idea is that in the calling of the 12 disciples, Jesus gives us a picture of true Christian discipleship. That in the calling of these 12 men, Jesus is saying, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it looks like to be a disciple of King Jesus. Now, we're living in a day, an age, where discipleship, at least in the Christian world, is a big, attractive word. It sells a lot of books. There's a lot of programs designated for discipleship or called discipleship. If you look at any of our state conventions or our national conventions, there are people who work for those that all they focus on is discipleship. How do we get discipleship into our churches? Now, I began this series with giving an overview of Mark's gospel, focusing on discipleship or what it is to be a learner. A disciple is a student or a learner or someone who is gaining wisdom and insight and instruction from a teacher. 
And so it makes sense, just in breaking down the word, that if I am a disciple of Jesus, or I am a student of Jesus, that He is my teacher. But I am, uh, I am saddened, I am convicted, I am uh, concerned that the day in which we live, people seeking to be disciples aren't going to Jesus for their teacher. I'm concerned that sometimes we go to a book first that's not the Bible. I'm concerned that sometimes we run to a program that's already been laid out. Here's eight weeks, eight steps to become a disciple of Jesus without taking up the Word and asking the teacher himself, show me what it is to be a disciple. And so this morning I want us to see that as Jesus calls these 12 men to himself, that he says this is what it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Well, over the next two weeks, this Sunday and the following Sunday, we will examine several responses to Jesus. This week, we will see those who support Jesus, those who join Jesus, and that's the disciples. Next week, we will encounter opponents to Jesus, those being his own family and the Pharisees. And in all of this, in highlighting right response in the disciples and a wrong response in Jesus' own family and the Pharisees, Mark is preparing us for Jesus' first extended sermon in Mark chapter 4. You see, we aren't yet ready to hear some of the things that Jesus says in Mark 4 without first encountering what's going on here. And so as we move into this section, as I said earlier, we must bear in mind the full weight of Mark's story up until this point. We last saw Jesus condemning the crowds for their wrongly placed interest. He said, you're only coming to me because of what I can do for you. You have no interest in me, in my teaching, in my mission. And then he's also condemning the Pharisees because they worshipped their traditions over God. And so today, having condemned those things, Jesus is going to explain to us what true discipleship is. Having dismantled wrong approaches, Jesus is now going to build back up a right understanding. And so you see on your notes there, the first thing I want us to see is that he calls the twelve to be with him. It says in verse 13 that he went up on the mountain. Now, if you've been coming to our Wednesday night studies, we've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount as it's found in Matthew. And If you will recall, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Jesus went up on the mountain to teach, and he called to him the disciples. And this is a picture from the Old Testament. It's a way of Matthew and Mark saying, this is God. This is the authoritative appointed leader of God's people, because it's a reference back to Exodus 24, where it says, and Moses went up on the mountain to encounter God. And in our Wednesday night studies, what I've highlighted is that when Matthew Matthew and Mark use that phrase, Jesus went up on the mountain, they are tying it back and saying, not only is Jesus the leader, but he is the new Moses. Why does it matter to you? Why does it matter to me that Jesus is the new Moses? Because at the end of Deuteronomy, before Moses is about to die, he says, by the way... Folks, 
God's going to send another authoritative leader. and He's going to be greater than me. And he's going to be able to save you. And Matthew and Mark are saying, this is him. Look, he's going up on the mountain to teach just like Moses did. And so we need to pay attention. But more than just going up on the mountain, look what it says. He called to, the, to himself, he called to him those whom he desired. Now, just last week, just prior in the story, we remember Jesus was on the seashore. And he's surrounded by these crowds who are pushing and shoving and trying to get to him. It says they are literally falling over themselves trying to get to Jesus just to touch him. And Jesus said, hey boys, bring the boat up in case I need to get away so that they don't crush me. Well, now he's moved away from this crowd and he's gone up on the mountain and he hasn't invited the crowds. He hasn't said, come all who will. It says that he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Now it's important to note, verse 14, he appointed 12. He called 12 men to be his disciples, whom he also named apostles. It's important because Jesus is not just saying, I'm the new Moses. Jesus is redefining Israel. Now, you may have no idea what I mean by that. You may be really knowledgeable in the story of the Old Testament and know that Israel was comprised of 12 tribes that go back to 12 sons. And Jesus is saying, the people of God are not primarily found in your allegiance, your, your membership in a particular tribe of Israel. Because if you read Philippians 3, that's one of Paul's boasting things. Hey, I am from the right tribe. I come from the right heritage. And Jesus is saying, he is redefining what the people of God look like. They're not a people defined by tradition. They're not a people defined by just showing up to church on Sundays or doing religious things. The people of God are defined by Jesus himself. And not only is he redefining, Jesus is arranging God's people for God's mission. Now again, if you know much about the Old Testament, you know that God gave specific jobs to the 12 tribes. And if you know how they were arranged in the desert around the tabernacle, then you will also know that they were arranged on purpose to carry out God's mission. And here again, Jesus is forming the 12 for the purpose of God's mission. And so it tells us that he names them. Not only does he call them to himself, Jesus names the apostles, he names them apostles, and to, in order to name something, you have to have a claim over it. Or you have to have authority to give the name. And so once again, Mark is highlighting, as he has so many times already, that Jesus is not just this special teacher who can do magic tricks. Jesus is the authoritative Son of God who has come to carry out God's mission in the world. And He is exercising that authority once again in naming, in redefining, in re-identifying these 12 men as apostles. He is going to reorder their lives. He's already called several of them from their jobs. Levi, as we highlighted, can't go back. He is reordering their, their priorities. He's redefining how they understand the world. And Jesus is also showing that he is in control of his own death. Look at verse 19. 
and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now, when these men are called, when they are on the mountainside, they have no idea what's to come. Keep that in mind. We only know the story because we've read the story. As the story is unfolding, they don't have any idea what's to come for Jesus. They don't have any idea what to expect from Judas. But do you know who did? Jesus. And so when Jesus called Judas, Judas wasn't just hanging around over to the side. And Jesus says, yeah, you can come on. We need to remember what verse 13 says, that he went up on the mountain and called to them those whom he, what? Wanted. Those whom he desired. And you know who Jesus desired to be with him? Judas, who betrayed him. And so even from this point, Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, and I'm going to die by my own authority. He's moving us towards the cross. But in calling these twelve, Jesus is setting up a distinction between those who would follow him purely out of excitement, purely out of excitement because he's healing, because he can help them along with their lives, or for self-serving reasons. He's setting up a distinction between those kind of people and those who are to be close to him and to receive the special instruction of Scripture. He's setting up a distinction between there are a lot of people in that day and in this day now, there are a lot of people who get excited about Jesus because of what Jesus can do for them. And what Jesus is saying here in this text is there is a distinction, brothers and sisters, be clear about it. There is a distinction between those who just get excited because they think Jesus can help them out and those whom Jesus has called to be with him to receive his special instructions through Scripture, and to know him, to identify with his mission, to have their lives reordered and repurposed for the sake of the gospel. There are a lot of people who try to fit Jesus into their life. I've got a lot going on, and Jesus, I'll let you in as long as you promise me good stuff and don't get in the way of the other stuff. That's how a lot of people, a lot of Americans, approach Christianity. And Jesus is saying... There is a clear distinction between that, which is false religion, and following Jesus faithfully. And so discipleship we see from the Bible itself means to be with Jesus. Discipleship means to be with Jesus. So we need to ask this question. Well, what does it mean to be with Jesus? We can't physically be with him at this moment. He is not any longer dwelling on the earth. He is in heaven, the Bible says. So what does it mean to be with Jesus? Well, we need to be clear right up front that it doesn't mean to physically be beside him as the apostles were. Now, in this moment, in the story, Jesus was physically there in in his body. And the disciples were with him. They were with him physically. But he's talking about a with that's higher or that's different than just being around someone's presence. Pastor once said, the task of being with Jesus is harder than it may first appear. The twelve had to learn that there's a difference between hanging around with Jesus and truly being with him. 
Being with him means that they must follow wherever he leads, share the toil of the ministry, the harassment of the crowds, and the same bitter cup of suffering. Let me say that again. The disciples had to learn that it means following wherever Jesus leads to share in the toil or the labor or the hard work of ministry. It means that they had to share in the harassment of the crowd and they had to share the same bitter cup of suffering. And so Jesus, if he were to stand up and say, by the way... If you come after me, it's going to be hard and toilsome and you're going to be harassed and you're going to have to suffer and I'm going to lead you to some places where you might otherwise choose not to go. How do you think people would respond? Well, guess what? He said those things. He said those things numerous times and the crowds heard him and said, that's not really what I'm looking for. It's not really what I'm looking for. And how many times today is that true in our own churches? They will have people who just come and they want to have Jesus help them along the way. But when he says, you must follow me, you must take up your cross daily and deny yourself and follow me. We say, that's not really what I had in mind, Jesus. You see, Jesus intends that we share in His view of God. That we share in His view of life itself. And that we share in His view of the world. Well, let's ask this question. What has Jesus said and experienced up to this point in Mark's story? Let's ask that question. If Jesus, at this point in Mark's story, in chapter 3, verse 13... What has happened thus far that would give us some insight into being his disciple? Well, we see in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, that Jesus states his mission clear from the get-go that he's come preaching the kingdom of God and repentance. He says, the time is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. That's why he came. And if we think for any moment that Jesus' primary goal is not the preaching and the establishment of the kingdom of God, then or now, we're wrong. I went to the uh, North Carolina Baptist State Convention last week and took Tim Gillum with me and he, I asked him, what do you think? And he said, there's a lot of things to do. And he's right. If you've never been to one of these conventions, there's vendors come, all kind of ministries you can get plugged in with, and you could spend all day just figuring out all the places you could get involved. And sometimes, sometimes we can get so involved and so busy doing things that we forget to follow Jesus. We can set up our own criteria. Look, Jesus, look how busy I am for the kingdom. And we never get to the actual work of preaching the kingdom. You see, preaching the kingdom is not just the job of the preacher. Preaching the kingdom is the job of the people of God. And so from the get-go, Jesus says, My mission is preaching the kingdom. Well, we see a second thing in chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, and in chapter 2. 
that Jesus is calling men to himself. He's calling people to himself to follow me. In chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, he says to Peter and to Andrew, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We talked about that having connections to the Old Testament, about saving from judgment. We're not just calling people to believe a different way of living. If we truly believe the gospel, brothers and sisters, we are plucking people from the gates of hell. And Jesus says, that's essential to what it means to follow me. That you become an agent of the gospel in the world. Well, we also see from that that discipleship happens in the context of relationships. A lot of times we try to define, at least, at least in present day, we try to define or confine discipleship to a classroom. And yet discipleship is always occurring. Discipleship is always occurring. You are always teaching someone whether God is the right way or God is the wrong way. And you need to ask yourself the question at this moment, does the way that you live teach people all the time that God is the right way? That God is the only way? That the gospel is the only way to be saved? Is that the heartbeat of your life? Or is the gospel compartmentalized? Is it fixed in or fitted into the other places of your life where it fits more neatly like church or like a class. Jesus says discipleship happens in the context of our normal, everyday relationships. Well, a second, the third thing we see is that in chapter 121 and chapter 2, uh, verses 2, 17 and 22, that Jesus is teaching. That that's part of what it means to be his disciple. That Jesus is teaching. And not just that he's teaching his opinions. We see that he's teaching with authority. In chapter 1 we see him teaching in the synagogue. And in order to display that authority. He casts out the demon. And, on, and so on it goes. That Jesus is teaching in such a way that people are saying. This guy is different than the other people. He's teaching as one with authority. We see him casting out demons with authority. And this causes the people and the scribes to say, all right, we need to take note of this guy. What's going on? Well, we see him healing and restoring the sick. We see him withdrawing for prayer. There's a question you can ask. Asking yourself, am I a disciple of Jesus? Well, Jesus withdrew regularly for prayer. What role does intentional prayer have in your life? Are you praying regularly before the Father? Are you praying with others regularly before the Father? You see, Jesus withdrew intentionally, specifically, for devoted prayer. Well, we see in chapter 1, verse 38, that Jesus reaffirms his mission. Do you know why? Do you know why it's important that Jesus reaffirms his mission? Because people forget. Because people forget. He said it already, I've come to preach and proclaim the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom is near. And then already the disciples have forgotten because they said, Jesus, the crowds, look at all these crowds. They want you. 
And Jesus says, that's not why I've come. We need to press on because I've come to preach. The disciples had forgotten. And sometimes, sometimes we get so busy doing all these good things that we forget. Jesus' primary mission is to preach and proclaim the kingdom. To see men and women saved from sin. And to see the people of his church built up in faith. Well, we see him forgiving sins in chapter 2, verse 5. That's not something you and I can do. Jesus did it because he had authority to do it because he was God. But we do know the one who has authority to forgive sins. And we do have full and free access to him. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 says. To bring others to him that they might have their sins forgiven through faith. We see him in chapter 2 eating with sinners. We see him in chapter 2 teaching about the future nature of discipleship. We see discipleship, as I said, has become a popular word in modern Christianity. And so it's important then for us to get the definition right. Lots of things masquerading as discipleship that are, in fact, nothing more than personal projects. I like this. It fits within what we're doing. I'm going to do that. Rather than saying, is this in line with what Jesus says about following him? And so I need to say, our, our definition of discipleship will continue to develop as Mark's story unfolds. There's more stuff coming that Mark's going to pack into our understanding of discipleship. But this is where we are. It's where we are right now. We can say with authority, with the authority of the Scripture, that being a disciple of Jesus means being with Him. It means being on mission with Him. That we are preaching the kingdom. That we are preaching repentance. That we are seeing the world through His eyes. It means that we are calling others to repent. That we are calling others to follow Jesus. And this assumes, brothers and sisters, that we are leading lives of repentance. Being with Jesus in the way Mark's talking about is not something we can do where we just turn it on and off on the right religious day. This is a total way of living. A total way of living. Being with Jesus means ministering to the lost and the hurting while not allowing the meaning of physical needs to trump the proclamation of the gospel. You see, Jesus is not content just that we meet physical needs. That's not all that he did. He met physical needs and yet preached the kingdom, even when it drove those people away. We need to be people of prayer, intentional prayer. But something else we need to see is that we will experience rejection. Often not from the world. We've built this, this category in our minds of the bad non-Christian who's just going to reject us and criticize us and make fun of us because we're Christians. Even when we don't say anything, we think people can just kind of smell it on us. And it's just not true. That person might exist, but they are few and far between because you see the, expi- the, the, the rejection that Jesus experienced more often came from religious folks. We're talking about this too on our Wednesday night studies when Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. 
You know who persecuted Jesus more than anybody else? The religious church folks. You're not doing it our way, Jesus. Do it our way or die. You see, the result of being with Jesus is that the twelve learn about him. They learn things about Jesus, but they also learn from Jesus. They learn things about him, but they learn what to do. And sometimes we only want the first. Just teach me some more things about you. Don't call me to do stuff. Don't call me to change stuff. I just want to know about you. But you see, there's a second part to this calling. They call, Jesus called them to be with him, but also to send them. But the disciples aren't yet ready to be sent. They need to be taught. They need to be matured. They need to be corrected. They need to be loved. They need to be guided. There's a discipleship kind of leadership principle that I try to follow in my own life. It's a five-step process on how to disciple. The first step is this. I'll do, you watch. I'm going to disciple. I'm going to bring you along so that you watch me disciple this person. Step two is I'm going to keep discipling. You're going to help me in this process. Step three is, all right, you do it. I'm going to step back. I'm going to help you, but you do it now. Step four is, you do it. I'll watch now. You're equipped. You go do it. And then step five is, you go do it with somebody else. I'm going to start over. That's what we see Jesus doing. And so I've got the question here. How are you producing and replicating disciples? Do you have a discipling heritage? When you look back over your Christian life, however long or short that is, do you look back to a long list or any kind of list of men and women that you have poured yourself into and then sent them out to do the work of God? Well, by God's grace, I have quite a few. And I have had the privilege of spending years of my life pouring into men some younger, some older, who I can look back and say, I spent years with them, and now they are faithfully carrying out the work of the gospel where they are, and God allowed me to play a role in it. And you know what? Somebody can say that about me. They can look back and say, I really invested years into Ben, and look what he's doing now. We should have discipling heritages. That we celebrate. Not because, God, look at all these people I've produced. But, God, look at what you have done through the calling of your disciples. Well, the second thing, (laughs) I went long. I'll go through this one quickly. Don't don't get nervous. A second thing was to see Jesus called the twelve in order to send them out. To commission them. You see, the twelve's companionship with Jesus is to lead to gospel service that benefits other people. It's not enough, brothers and sisters, just for us to be near Jesus, to learn things about Jesus, to feel holy feelings of spirituality around Jesus. To be with Jesus, to become identified with His mission, means that my life is now sent out for the sake of the gospel. We're going to see Jesus do that. Come to chapter 6, and Jesus is going to say to the disciples, All right, brothers, go. Go and do what I've said. You see, the disciples will become the agents of the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed himself to be in chapter 1. This is who I've been. This is who I am. This is who you're going to learn me to be. And this is who you're going to become. 
So wherever you go in your daily life, whether it's work or home or wherever it is, the people that you're around, if you're a believer, you have a commission from the Savior to be an agent of the kingdom of God in that setting every day. That's how God establishes his kingdom, through you, wherever you are. And so maybe you're sitting there contemplating, I have wasted all the time that I've spent because I'm not thinking like that. We have a chance to repent and start thinking like that. Not because Ben said it, but because this is from our Lord. And so we need to ask some questions as we bring this to a close. When they ask, am I a true disciple of Jesus? I mean that in two ways. The first way is how we tend to hear it. Do you believe in Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never trusted in Jesus for your salvation. You are condemned in your sins. And you need to hear that Jesus says there's no hope except for salvation through the kingdom of God. But another way, I want you to hear the question, am I a true disciple? If you claim Christ, are you following him according to his word? Sometimes we can just assume that if we claim the title of Christian, we're doing it the right way. And what I hope has been clearly seen today is that Jesus says there is a specific way that he calls us to follow. I want to remind you of some things that I said in my introductory sermon to Mark's gospel. That he would confront us over and over again with two questions. Who is God? And who am I? Well, he's answered for us over and over again who God is. He's the authoritative creator of everything. That he owns everything. That he has the right to say what true Christianity is and what it isn't. But he's also answered for us who we are. He said, you are the crowds. You are the Pharisees. You are the doubters. You are the self-interested ones. And until God so powerfully works that gospel of salvation in us, we won't become disciples on our own. And so Mark is answering that question for us as well. I gave this definition that discipling is a kind of fashion modeling. Maybe you remember that. That discipleship is a kind of fashion modeling. Not that we're showing off our clothes, but we are demonstrating a fashion, a way of living. We're demonstrating a way of living for others to follow. And discipling, when we ask that question, what is in fact discipleship? It's inviting other people to imitate us. It's making our trust in Christ an example to be followed. And it requires me to be willing to be watched. And not not just that I'm willing, but that I'm actually going out of my way to bring people into my life and saying, all right, watch me. I've got to be willing to open my life that God might establish His kingdom through it. And then God has said, all right, now go get people and bring them in so that they'll watch and that they'll learn. Demonstrate the fashion of the gospel. And so I just jotted on my notes. Does this define our church? Is this the idea of discipleship that we hold as a church? 
Is this the idea of discipleship that you hold as a Christian? You see, to follow Christ is all-inclusive. Jesus is not interested in what you have left over after a full week. Jesus is not interested in the stuff that you don't care which way it goes. You've got your priorities set aside, your goals and dreams set aside. You're not going to let Jesus get into that. Jesus says that's, that's not the way this works. So I put some questions there at your listening, God. Does your lifestyle say that you are a disciple of Jesus? If you were to give me full and free access to your life, which I'm not asking for, by the way, but if you were to give me that, would it say, would I come away thinking, yeah, that person's flawed, that person has sin in their life, but that person is a faithful follower of Jesus? What evidence is there in my life that I am with Jesus? Am I in His Word? Am I praying? Am I with His people? Am I on mission with Him? Who are you regularly studying the Word with? Who are you accountable to? Who are you confessing your sins to? I had a young man who is in my discipling heritage call me this week and say, Look, I've fallen into sin. Here's what I've done. Do you follow trends and crowds or are you faithfully committed to Jesus? I was talking with my wife just last night and asking her some of these questions. She said, everything about your life changes with Jesus. She's right. Your family, your job, your personal time, education, money, suffering, hardship, pain, all of it changes with Jesus. And yet some of us are trying to keep Jesus' changes at arm's length. I'll let you in when I'm comfortable with it. I'll let you in when it fits with what I've already got going on. (coughs) Now, last question, I'll ask this. How am I actively living and spreading the gospel? If we are followers of Jesus, that needs to be on our heart. How am I actively living out the gospel? How am I actively spreading the gospel? If people aren't meeting Jesus and growing in Jesus through our lives, we need to ask if we are truly with Jesus. Because Jesus calls His disciples to be with Him and to go with the gospel. Let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. Lord Jesus, we confess that this is your word. We confess that this is a hard and heavy word. Lord, we ask and we pray that you would cause it to work in our hearts, Lord. Help us to see if we are not if we are not in the faith, Lord, there's no hope outside of your name. There's no hope outside of your salvation. And so you beckon us to come and to find life, to find forgiveness of sin and to find eternal joy. Lord, help us to see if we claim your name that you have said this is what it means. That we can't make Christianity into something that we want it to be. That you have called men and women boys and girls, to follow you, and you have said, this is the way. 
Lord, help us to deal with that. Help us to see that you called us to be with you by having our lives totally identified by who you are and by what you're about. And you've called us to yourself in order to send us out to go with that gospel. Lord, we ask that you would bless this word in our lives today. Don't let us be passive, Lord Jesus. I pray and ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to, I'm not going to sing for us, but uh, I do want to encourage you. Uh, this demands a response. You don't need a song to respond. Songs are good. But the Lord is looking for a response from us. Now, maybe for you, that's faith, to repent and believe for the first time. Maybe for you, that's to confess that you've misunderstood discipleship, but you need a course correction. Maybe you're somewhere in between or something else. But the Lord demands a response from His people. And so this morning as you go, I encourage you to go with that question. What is the Lord calling me to respond? How is the Lord calling me to respond? If you need me, I'll of course be down here always at the front. But let's take that question as we, as we dismiss into Sunday school. What's the Lord calling us to do? What's the Lord calling us to respond? How is He calling us to respond? Amen? Uh, Be attentive to your bulletin. Lots of information in there, as always. Uh, Make sure you are checking your prayer list. Lots of things to take before the Lord, as we, His faithful disciples, are always in prayer, right? And so, make sure you're paying attention to that. If you know of something else, please come and let me know. If not, you are dismissed.